Hi, Robert. It's so good to see you again. I know it's been probably five, six months since we last talked and everybody's missed you. So um, I'm happy you and I are back together again. And I thought we would start with a debriefing on the summer of 2017 because it's just been like something out of a nightmare, starting with the floods in Texas and the ravages of the hurricanes, um, especially Puerto Rico, the shootings in Las Vegas, and now it's just mopping up this minute and still going. The devastating fires in Northern California, Napa, Sonoma, I'm not, that, I'm not far from there right now. I have one friend who has four friends who lost homes just in Santa Rosa alone. I mean, it's starting to feel like some kind of, like I said, kind of fundamentalist Armageddon. It's just a general malaise and feeling with all of this going on. And you you called it, you talked about it several months ago about what was going to be happening as this year uh, progressed, almost again in America in particular with a lot of conflict revolution. And that can extend to many levels. So take it away on that, Robert. Well, first of all, it's, it's great to be back and, and chatting with you. And I've missed you too. And I know my people have missed you as well. So uh, if we go back in time, the, of course, the, the big moment, like the tabula rasa uh, of the event horizon in the summer was the eclipse, the great American eclipse. And the event that was really kind of the, the pre-trigger event for the eclipse was what happened in Charlottesville. Now, we could spend a whole hour deconstructing Charlottesville and some of the strange players and motivations and... Um, you know, uh, uh, tricks and magic and illusions that all went down uh, in Charlottesville. But it happened in the window of the eclipse. Uh, about a week and a half before and about a week and a half after is where we really have that eclipse field. It's not just what happens on that moment, you know, on that day. Um, there's energy that's generated. In astrology, they have this the prenatal eclipse in the chart, which is a very important aspect in the chart where was the last eclipse that occurred in the chart before there was an eclipse that occurred that's a very important part inside of a person's chart so in, in essence what we're dealing with is what we're dealing with the pre-solar eclipse and the post-solar eclipse energy charlottesville is a fuse that basically lights everything off everything was sort of kind of abating to some degree right everything on a social level even like the protests with the nfl players were abating to some degree and then what happened is right after Charlottesville occurred, the protests started kicking up again. People started taking a knee, and it became this kind of widespread um, you know, so social justice activity that the NFL had decided that it wanted to embrace. Now, it's really interesting that the NFL was embracing this uh, pretty much on the heels after their contract with the Department of Defense ran out. So they were, the NFL was getting military. Wait, wait, wait. State, state that again. What do you mean their contract with the Department so of Defense? So the NFL had a contract with the Department of Defense, and they were taking money from the armed services. And in, in exchange for that money, um, the NFL was allowing for flyovers of jets. And the whole standing of the national, for the national anthem started in 2005 when this contract kicked off. Before that, the players were in their locker rooms. They didn't come out for the national anthem. I mean, that was kind of a fan thing. But this started to happen, and it was part of the regimen that the NFL uh, put into place because they, they would receive bonuses for everything that they did in order to support the military. The other thing that the, what you don't see anymore is that when you would watch an NFL game, the commercials would be spiked with, 
uh, be all you can be, commercials for the Air Force, commercials for the Navy. Well, all that money went away. And once that money went away, all of a sudden the NFL was open to perhaps other influences, financial and otherwise. So it's not all of a sudden that these players have a social conscience, although astrologically there is a, uh, there's a, there's a correlative for that. But there is also, in, in almost all these things, there's an economic reason. Just follow the money. So, um, so this has happened. They lost the money from the DOD, uh, John McCain, Flake, Jeff Flake from Arizona. They called the NFL out on it, went away. Now all of a sudden it goes from being kind of pro-military, pro-country, pro-flag to being pro-social justice. Now Uranus and Aries is a really interesting aspect, and we can talk about this. It's in the final degrees of uh, being in Aries. It went into, Uranus went into Aries in 2011, just right after the, uh, the event in Fukushima. So what we've seen with Uranus and Aries are a couple of different things. Uh, number one, we've seen sort of the, the rise of the individual and individual rights and you know whose rights matter more and the radicalization of the individual, whether it's on mm-hmm. the left or the right, you know, it's the silent majority who stood up. It's the left who said, the silent majority is hateful. We're going to come after you. This is all Uranus and Aries conflict. Mm-hmm. So when we get into the final degrees of a sign, that sign begins to lose its power. It goes into kind of a, a you know, celestial wobble. So when we get to the 27th and 28th degree of a sign, this, the energy is starting to really fluoresce. It, 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 it is... Uh, it's volatile, let's put it that way. So we're in the volatile degrees of Uranus and Aries. And when it comes to the NFL, or when it comes to Antifa, or when it comes to you know the far right, these groups, these factions, Black Lives Matter, they're gonna be very active during these final degrees of Uranus and Aries. How now, long does that, Robert, how long does that period, those final degrees last? So in May, we go, in May, uh, Uranus goes into Taurus. Which, which signals a big shift. So in April, Uranus will be at 29 degrees Aries, which is the anoretic degree. And it will feel like on a social level that this is sort of the last chance for gas. Um, it's like you're driving to Elko, Nevada, and you're headed, you're headed east, right? Uh, because it's going to be that time when these groups uh, are going to feel as if they're ability to make a stand or make a statement will be um, highlighted in such a way that there may never be another time. Okay. Now, I may not necessarily agree with that, but that's what the 29th degree indicates because when we go into Taurus, we're dealing with very, very different issues. We're not dealing with the individual anymore. We're not dealing with the soldier anymore. We're not dealing with the athlete anymore. And by the way, just to bring this present and current, we're also dealing with a lot of scandal as it relates to people like Harvey Weinstein and um, what was the guy's name, Roy Winston, up in uh, for Amazon, and a lot of a lot of uh, women are coming forward, and you know, and they're 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 disclosing what happened to them in the past. And Aries represents men, right? It's also just male energy. So here's Uranus at the twenty seventh, twenty eighth degree. And all of a sudden, fools rush in. Let's go. Let's bring this up. Let's bring this out. The energy is unstable. It's another, it's another example of that. Go ahead. Yeah, let me ask you a quick question about that because it was interesting. In reading, uh, I, was, I picked up a Time magazine, was reading the cover story on um, Weinstein. And 
one of the comments he made, which was just so really kind of naive in a sense, was, but that's how we did it in the old days. That's, that's just how it's done. And so the reality is having been in the world of media my whole life, that is kind of how I didn't ever, and some people, Meryl Streep, Jane Fonda, some of these powerful women, they didn't go through any of that. But a lot of women did. So that had to do with holding women's personal power throughout. I had the same experience. A lot of my uh, friends in the industry went through that kind of harassment at one time or another. I fortunately never did have to go through any of that. Nonetheless, it is ubiquitous. So are you saying that when this period ends, it's not just a highlighter under it, but it's actually drawing to a close that reality and ushering in now a new level of social conscience? Um, yes, but in a, in a, in a different, different kind of way. Because what's going to happen next year in April, right around 420, is that um, Chiron is going to go in, into Aries. Mm -hmm. so, so we're dealing with male energy again. But we're dealing with male energy in a very different kind of way. You know, it's, it's not going to be male energy business as usual, like this is how we did it in the old days. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be like that at all. But I will also say it, it is also not going to be some reflexive model of kind of, and, and, and you know, I, I may trigger some people with this. Uh, but it won't be a reflexive model of the rise of the beta male. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be more like things that you and I have talked about in the past, where men take on a role as being protectors. They take on a role as being uh, sentries of their community and standing up for uh, people that they love and care about and standing up for uh, inviolable rights, which are really, really important. When I talk about rights... That's so needed, though. That's absolutely. Oh, it is needed. Men that, do need to take a place again in society. No, it's true. Anyone. Oh, it's it's abs it's absolutely true. You know, so from a timeline perspective, the last time Chiron was in Aries started off in 1969. That was the last time we saw Chiron in Aries, and a lot of things happened on, on the backside of that. It was the end of the summer of love. Nixon started to sort of tumble down the stairs and would slam into Watergate, and then he would be. Uh, impeach, but one of the other things that happens right there, right around 1969-1970, is kind of the unofficial birth of feminism. You know, this is when um, the feminists really, really, really come online, and uh, former CIA agent Gloria Steinem uh, begins to make her push into public consciousness. So that was then, right? So if women had the opportunity with Chiron and Aries to kind of reclaim some power from sort of this male power structure, well, it's the men's turn now because this is the next cycle and the next turn of Chiron and Aries. It's going to be a really interesting time for, for men because one of the things that men are going to have to do is they're going to have to battle stereotypes. And this is a very difficult thing to do. You know, one of the uh, pieces of media that I've been recommending to people around this subject is a movie called The Red Pill, which is about a woman who decided that she was a documentarian. She was a woman who had gone through some of the things that these, that these actresses had had in Hollywood, and she got turned off by it. She got turned off by typecasting. She got turned off by all this stuff, so she decided to make documentary films. And her next documentary, what she was going to do, was about um, the men's movement. And um, it's the new version of the men's. It's not Robert Bly and all those guys. 
So she went down that rabbit hole and being kind of an avowed feminist and having contact with these men and hearing their stories and hearing their lives and how difficult it is for men in our society in a lot of ways, um, she became an advocate for these people, for these men. And so I think it's a really important film. And what's interesting about these men in the, in, in the movie is that they're all very soft. None of them are angry. They're not Alex Jonesy. They're not hitting you over the head with the message. They're sensitive, and you can clearly see the reason that the men are doing this work is because they're wounded. And that brings us back to Chiron and Aries. Mm -hmm. Men are having, we're going to have to move beyond our wounds. And sometimes that's not always easy or pretty. It can be a bit messy, right? So we're not just going to jump right out of the gate and say, here we are, we're fresh, we're new, we're here to help, we're here to protect, we're here to serve. No, there's going to be moments where it may be awkward. You know, there may be overreach. People might have to get through their anger. You know, but at the end of the day, this is, this is a seven-year cycle with Chiron. It's a very big cycle. Chiron goes through the fourth house of the assembly chart of the United States. So the United States will go through its Chiron return. Now, that's not going to be until 20 degrees. So we're talking about, what, five years out? Um, so, but this is a, a crucial time. And Uranus is setting the table. Right, Uranus and Aries is setting the table because what we're seeing is we're seeing this disruptive behavior, you know, that goes on at high levels of power inside the entertainment industry. And by the way, the dirty secret is it's not just women, right? Men are also abused. Men are also taken advantage of. I used to hang out with a guy who was an actor in Hollywood. And he was pretty well connected. And he told me stories. He told me stories. If you wanted to get a good agent, you had to do whatever that agent asked. And that's the bottom line. So, and below that, the next level below that is what? It's the Corey Feldmans of the world. That's where we go really down the rabbit hole. Right. So if Harvey Weinstein is anything, he's kind of the, the gateway to the rabbit hole. Now, it could be one of these pieces where, you know, we're experiencing what, you know, what's known as the revelation of the method. And the revelation of the method is when we're given something that looks like it could be truth, but it's really just kind of a, a superficial truth. You know, mm -hmm. something that we can chew on and gnaw on, but what's really beneath that is kind of, you know, where we want to go. And so we're given these things in order for them to appear to be truthful or real. I, I agree with you, Robert, because especially with the younger generations of men, um, I have a son of the upper end of the millennial generation and um, know a lot of young men who simply don't know their place. They don't know if they're, what they're supposed to, what kind of role they're supposed to play anymore. And we've talked about this quite a bit. And there is a great deal of confusion and even dropping out saying, what the heck? Hey, the girls and the women seem to have it managed. You know, they're out getting the corporate jobs now because of our own needs and it, um, also kind of an innate need for security that still exists within women where we're willing to pick it up, run with it, and put up with all the BS of the corporate life just to be able to take care of our families with no help from men. And so now the men feel like, well, they don't need me. I get that. And so to bring it back together where women are in their own strength and power in an authentic way and men are in their power in an authentic way, that is, it seems to me, the golden opportunity of these next seven years, even if it is a little bit ugly. So... Yeah. It could be, you know, one of the things that, you know, they're talking about in um, the NFL with taking the knee is to have a dialogue, to have a dialogue. Well, what's a dialogue about, you know? What, do you, what, what is it all about? Well, men and women need to have a dialogue too. 
I mean, that's, it's, it's vital. It's, it's important. Absolutely. But, but I think mostly men have to come to this place inside themselves where, you know, we could, and look, maybe I'm personalizing this, but I'm a man and I've seen this in, in, in the lives of a number of men. We can only shrink ourselves so much. You know, we can only contort ourselves so much until at some point, you know, we're, we're just completely atrophied. And we have to move out of that. We have to move out of that contortion. We have to move out of that atrophy. And what's really interesting, and this brings us into the Las Vegas shooting, and all this happens, by the way, on the backside of the eclipse. The eclipse seems to have triggered everything, right? Everything, because it yeah. happened. It happened at uh, 28 degrees, and it was right on Donald Trump's ascendant. You know, we can talk about him if you want, but we don't have to. But what's happened is that there seems to be these kind of socially mirrored events that are taking place that within a very short period of time, right, you have um, uh, Stephen Paddock. Stephen Paddock, who may or may not have right. actually pulled any trigger, by the way. Right. No one knows yet. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Uh, there's, and, and, you know, and this is a, you know, what happened in Las Vegas is so important. We are dealing with a live wire 9-11 situation in a time where people have gone through so much empathy and compassion fatigue, you know, with all these events that they can now kind of, you know, it, it, with steely reserve, get into this and look at this and not be traumatized by it. Why? Because the psychic reserves, the psychic reservoirs of trauma are empty. They're done. There's nothing left. You know, so when we have these events, how does it really affect people? You know, I mean, does it really get into their spirit and their emotion? And oh, my God. And yes, I'm sure people uh, died or got hurt. You know, there may have been elements of a false flag on top of that, a psychological operation. But the bottom line is, is we've had so many of these that, that our psychic adrenals are fried. We have nothing left to emote. So from a traumatic position, it, they don't work anymore. It just doesn't work. I mean, in order to get to that place, they'd have to like triple down and have something really, really massive happen, right? So in, in the, on the back side of that, you've got a, a lot of people who are not buying into this emotionally, and they're diving into an event that they don't want to let go of. It is happening, it is live, it is right now. As much as they'd like to shove it away, as much as they'd like to run Jesus Campos out onto Ellen for seven minutes and say it's done, and Ellen says, you'll never talk about this again with anybody else now, will you? It's not over, right? But let's look at this for a second. Stephen Paddock, and I did the chart for Stephen Paddock. I got his birth time, uh, I got his birth date. He's an Aries, hello, he's an Aries. So what are we dealing with? We're de and by the way, he has the same birthday as Hugh Hefner, who had died not too long. Mm -hmm. Right? So he's an Aries. He represents a male, male energy. And what happened right on the heels of this? Let's demonize this guy. He's a white male. He's got a gun. Let's demonize. Oh, by the way, he's actually going after people who might be Trump supporters. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, but let's go ahead and let's demonize him anyway. And then we have Harvey Weinstein, who's right around the same age. Uh, let's demonize him. And Harvey Weinstein, you know, he, he deserves a lot of the heat that he's getting, you know, business as usual. Oh, yeah, he absolutely does. And yeah, absolutely. the jury's just still out because nobody is able to follow the true train of evidence fully yet on Steve Paddock. So, you know. That's right. But they fall in the same bucket, right? Yeah. They fall in this bucket where hey, look, it's a white, middle-aged guy. If he's not out taking a rifle 
and shooting up people in Las Vegas. He's behind the scenes in Hollywood, uh, you know, whip, whipping out his wing wang and taking showers in front of people, right? So this is the message that is kind of being broadcast during the final degrees of your wrong scenarios. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what do we have to deal with on the backside of that? Well, we have to deal with the fact that, well, that's not who men are. I'm sorry. It's just not who men are. Real men, they don't do that. And again, Stephen Paddock may not even be a real man for that, for, for what we all know. So that's what's been going on. And this Uranus and Aries effect has been very profound because Jupiter has also been in opposition. Yes, I'm excited about this part because we're, I was going to ask you, we need to jump in on Jupiter because Jupiter is going into Scorpio, which I personally am very In fact, in fact <laughs> Jupiter went, the, it was almost to the day when Jupiter went into Scorpio when the Harvey Weinstein material popped, right? Okay. So that's expansion through power and sex. And what did we see? What have we been seeing? The expansion of a, it's not quite an investigation, but it is a deep gaze into power and sex. That is true. So when we had Jupiter-Uranus opposition, what was going on is that Uranus is kind of burst, I'm sorry, Jupiter is kind of bursting at the seams in Libra trying to expand into fairness, right? Everybody's trying to get their fair share with Jupiter in Libra. And then Uranus on the other side is explosive, it's volatile, and it, and it sends people off into this kind of, this volley, this explosive moment where, you know, unfortunately it feels like more polarization just before Jupiter goes into Scorpio. In fact, I'll give you an example. I got an email uh, today from a woman who uh, was bitterly complaining about another astrologer who has a kind of a risque video on his website, woman in a bikini shaking her butt, right? And she wanted me, somebody in the astrological community, to do something about it. Well, first of all, that's that's not my role. I, you know, I'm not the, the the astrological cop, right? It's not it's not what I do. And it's a free market. If this guy wants to do that, she's a woman. She's older, old enough. She can consent to it. That's her thing, right? But you don't have to go there. You don't have to go to his website. You don't have to buy his products. You don't have to do any of that. Okay, so. That part, that part is kind of an aside alone. But the fact of the matter that she reached out to me to talk about this, you see, that's where the table has been set now. Right. And this is what's happened on the backside of Jupiter and Uranus uh, opposition. Let's talk. By the way, by the way, if that if that woman on that website was nine years old, I, I jump into action and do something about it. I understand. I hear what you're saying. So let's talk about Jupiter going into Scorpio. Now, besides Harvey Weinstein and, and sex and power, you know, and the secrets of it being driven to the surface, because there are a lot of us Scorpios out there, Valentine's Day babies, and Jupiter generally uh, denotes some kind of uh, an upliftment. So what's the good news about it? So Jupiter and Scorpio, um, well, the, the good thing is, is that there's going to be plenty of opportunity for regeneration in people's charts, okay? So you want to find out where Jupiter is lining up in your chart. Wherever you have Scorpio, that cusp suggests regeneration, rebirth, because we're dealing with Scorpionic themes. And Scorpio deals with resources, right? It's other people's money, other people's resources. It's psychic resources. It's also things like inheritance. These are very strong Scorpionic themes. Of course, it's sex and the occult and the underworld, all those things. 
But there are other you know, pieces of Scorpio that are related to psychic and emotional, even physical regeneration. So wherever it shows up in your charts, that's where you have to look because that's where the opportunity is. Jupiter expands in that place. If you have, I know that you have a Scorpio on your, what, seventh house cusp, right? Yes. Yeah, so that would be Jupiter moving through your seventh house, regeneration through relationship, right? Regeneration through contracts, new contracts, things like right. that, right. right? New partners. That's where Jupiter, you know, performs its magic. So that's really what we're talking about. Jupiter and Scorpio is juicy. It's, it's, you know, it's intense, it's deep. You know, what it does is it entices us to, to expand and go deep at the same time. Wow, what a concept, right? To expand. That sounds excellent to me because I think, as you said, our psychic energy has been completely drained. So anything that's going to come along and add a little bit of juice and energy back on a deep level, wherever that hits in our chart, is welcome as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, you know, and uh, I hope this doesn't sound too sexist or triggering, but this is a good year for sex. I'm sorry. Jupiter and Scorpio, it's a great year to explore intimacy, right? Sexuality at a deep level. And it doesn't matter what part of your chart it's in. Everybody's got Jupiter and Scorpio. You know, so this could be a really powerful time to experience regeneration through sexuality. Why, I mean, why not? You know, this is what it's all about, right? Exactly. Why not? I mean, that's not a sexist statement. You know, that goes for men and women. Anything that's going to put some energy back in the well, juice it up for us, how can we need it? It seems to me we need it. People are feeling deflated in general, kind of tired, just malaise has set in, uh, deflated, and yeah. beaten up a little bit. So it sounds to me like that's exactly what we need at this time. Absolutely. And you know, what's going to be really interesting is that we're going to be in Jupiter and Scorpio, and then, of course, Uranus goes into Taurus next year. Both of those deal with assets, money, hard money with Taurus, Scorpio, other people's money. So, you know, now we're into the money game and what can potentially happen with that also in 2018. You know, the, uh, the cryptos are rising in prominence and power, looking like they're trying to be uh, brought in and integrated by the banks and foreign countries. Uh, that's going to be very interesting to watch happen. Let me see. Let me ask you something about that because, you know, you have all these different camps of people with all the different, um, you know, a thousand different viewpoints in, in our audience alone, right? And one of them is the camp that's really looking for the solar flare. Boom, you know, back to nature. And then you have the crypto camp. Those two camps don't go well together. What is your, if looking at from an astrological point of view, the whole notion of, solar activity and solar flares affecting the world of cryptocurrencies? Because I know that is a fear of some people in terms of kind of deciding to tiptoe on into cryptocurrencies. Well, sure. I mean, yeah, a solar flare could be uh, damaging uh, to, the, to the power grid structure. Uh, an EMF could perform the same thing. Uh, yep. I don't know how, I mean, because theoretically, um, the cryptos are, are blockchain and they're existing up in the cloud. And who knows from just kind of a power perspective what it would do to, I mean, I mean they're everywhere. They're ubiquitous, right? So it's not just in one place. Uh, and how, how you could sort of disable that. But I think, you know, there's probably some valid concern from that point of view, although it sounds more, a bit more like, I don't know, paranoia in some ways. Yeah, it's definitely fear-driven. Anything where you're waiting for 
you know, the end via grid outage is definitely fear-oriented. We know that. Although so, they do talk about it in Blade Runner 2049, where the world goes into uh, yes. days of darkness, right? Yes, yes. I, I saw it recently, and uh, wow, what a production. Yeah, so that's kind of my top edge of what I can handle by way of stress for entertainment. However, the production values were beautiful, and there were some interesting messages in it. For a movie, to go to a movie, like a Hollywood movie, I, yeah. I, I invested eight bucks, and I'm not sorry I did. You know, yeah, I, I feel I, the same way. I got yeah. something out of it. On the other side, but there's also paranoia, you know, on the other side of the crypto side, in that you know, there are people that believe that this, that the crypt, that the that that uh, whether it's um, Bitcoin or something that's been sort of stitched together by you know the China. India, maybe the United States, that this becomes sort of the new de facto currency. Yes. And that, and that, well, how do you, okay, how do you collateralize that? Well, there's a blockchain called ACC. Are you familiar with ACC? No. So ACC is a blockchain that has already been um, acknowledged and um, accredited, uh, not accredited, but given accreditation by the IMF and the World Bank. ACC is the plan to digitally monetize everything on the planet. Everything from tea leaves in Ceylon to your second car in your garage. Everything has a digitized value, okay? This becomes the collateralization of the new economy because the old economy is bankrupt. We all know that. They're just printing money out of thin air. That's all they're doing, right? So what's going to drive the new economy? It's the collateralization, the digital collateralization of everything. And this is what the new blockchain, the, the master blockchain, will probably subsist on. But why does that not feel particularly good, just on a gut level? Because there's no ownership at that point. There's no ownership. How do you know? Because if, if, if uh, tea leaves in Ceylon have been you know, digitized, well, who owns that? Well, it's the people who are running the blockchain. But there are, it, the problem is there are always people at a certain strata that know how to manipulate and take advantage of these things. Are you saying, because I don't understand enough about cryptocurrencies, it's something I'm going to dive into, um, to understand how those control factors can or cannot work? Well, so I think most people are are in agreement. Most people that like Catherine Austin Fitz, people who know would be in agreement, Gerald Salente, that we're coming to the end of cash. I mean, it's just going to happen. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have something instead, instead of, you know, federal reserve notes to do a transaction with, and that's going to happen in a digital space. Well, what's going to be the transmitter of that transaction is going to be your cell phone, your smartwatch. Is it going to be a card? Is it going to be a chip? So it has to be linked to something. If we're going to have a universal blockchain, i.e. a global currency, it has to be linked to some form of distribution and transmission. Mm -hmm. Now that said, that said, there could be pirate blockchains or there could be competing blockchains where people are trying to do a runaround around the system. And if it's a true blockchain where it's encrypted and you can't get in, well, then it'll be interesting. You may have competing models out there. And if they're competing models, one of which is, say, more private than another, um, then it gets to be really kind of a kind of a boat race at that point. You know, who's got the better model? Who's got the better beast, right, in some ways? 
So I think we're going to go down that path. Now, there are going to be some people who are going to be the solar flare people who will say, I want no part of that, right? I don't want any part of this digital world. And that may actually be kind of an evolving choice or an evolving lifestyle moving forward. You may have people that are just going to say, I want off the grid. This is too much. And so, you know, they may wind up going back 50 years in terms of their kind of social and evolutionary pattern and development. It'll be interesting to see if the dominant paradigm, because they're coming into Saturn and Capricorn, which is a big, big shift, by the way, will they allow these people to actually exist in sort of a parallel universe where there's this huge movement to move people into these macro cities, which brings us back to what happened in Santa Rosa, by the way. Talk about that a little bit more. Make the link for us very directly. Sure, sure. So we can actually go into the Uranus and Aries from a big picture perspective, and we can bring Saturn and Capricorn into this. So Uranus is also technology. It's technology. It's not just um, radicalism or revolution or energy or change or innovation. It also represents technology. And in Aries, you know, we're dealing, remember, if you go back to the last time Uranus was in Aries, it was in the run-up to the Third Reich. And that's when we had all this massive technological development, right? Mm -hmm. So we've had some technological development during this period and this phase, things like CRISPR, gene editing, some of which is bubbling up to the surface. Um, but we've also been, and more and more people now are wrapping their heads around technology that is used at a high level to control weather, to control the environment. This week, the movie Geostorm comes out about a rogue weather satellite, you know, that's been, that's gone, uh, that's gone bad or website's gone rogue. So we're being shown something now, right? Isn't this interesting? We're having these hurricanes. We're having what happened in Santa Rosa, which by the way, if you look at what happened in Santa Rosa, most of the vineyards were untouched, untouched. And you have, you have neighborhoods in Santa Rosa that look like World War II, like bombed out versions of like Poland or Germany or England in World War II. It's that bad. Now, what's going to happen to those people that own those homes? They're not gonna, those homes are going to be rebuilt overnight. They're just not. Well, if I can interject something, part of the problem is, and this is popping up in headlines too, who's going to rebuild? You've lost thousands of homes. I used to live in Santa Rosa, looked at the map. I'm not in Santa Rosa right now. Our house in this very modest little area growing up was fine. The really high-end homes, um, those were the homes that were hit the hardest, and they're getting their insurance payouts, but the reality is there just aren't enough local contractors, et cetera, to even begin. It's going to take many, many, many years to rebuild. And I'm guessing that many people will not bother rebuilding. They won't be rebuilding. They'll be moving. The question is where? Where do they go? Mm -hmm. Now, some of these people, and I know people who are renting in Santa Rosa, and they lost their home, right? Mm -hmm. They're done. So where do they go? Do they go to San Francisco, Bay Area? Have you, tried, have you looked at the cost of housing in Bay Area and San Francisco? Yeah. Yeah. No, what about people that are living there and work, we're working there? Where are they going to go? So, what, you know, and this is, and we can see this now in Santa Rosa. We can see it in Houston. We could even see it in Puerto Rico. There are people in Puerto Rico. They're not going back. Those people are leaving Puerto Rico. They're probably going to come to the United States. So this gets into Agenda 21, Agenda 2030, moving people into these megalopolis cities. That's it. Where does that factor in astrologically? Looking well, at that comes into Saturn and Capricorn because Saturn and Capricorn is all about um, the power structures and bureaucracies, 
flexing their muscle, right? This is the way it is. This is where it's going to go. This is how it's going to happen. If we have to move you here, you will move here because this area is deemed unsafe. You will no longer be able to occupy this area. And so this is really kind of the plan moving forward is to move people into really super dense urban zones. And the other areas outside of these super dense urban zones are going to be turned into uh, one of two things. They'll be turned into wildlife refuge refuges, or they'll be turned into basically the same, the same deal that the third world countries have, and they'll have their resources mined. So there are, there are plots of suburbia all over the United States that probably have really interesting resources underneath them but they have not been mined, they haven't been used because people have been living there. Well, guess what? Those days, are they're, they're coming to a grinding halt because everything is changing and the whole model of how we're going to live is being changed right, right before our very eyes. So when you see something like Santa Rosa or Houston, it's the beginning of a migration towards the megalopolis. Yes, I, I hear what you're saying. And listening to that and tying that back into the rise of a digitized universe in terms, or at least world, in terms of all the resources, you know, it is undeniable. And certainly younger generations have no problem with it because they've been raised on these viewpoints. But not only that, on dystopian um, notions of the future. So that's an actual, that's a somewhat comfortable region for people who are, I'd say millennials, certainly millennials and younger, the next generation down. And so, of course, it's very tempting and always has been for people who are above that age group to say, wow, life isn't feeling particularly organic anymore. I really right. liked my little direct exchanges and bartering and passing cash to someone at the farmer's market. It, there was something that just had an organic feel good where you had some kind of control over your own life. And obviously, people that are you know, 40, 45 and up, 50 and up are starting to really feel that reality slipping away. But that is the new earth for now. I mean, that is now, I think, what we're looking at is certainly into the future. We don't know how far into the future, whether it's going to be some kind of retro movement that happens of some kind that puts a halt to it or takes it in another direction. But I think we do need to get comfortable with the notion we are entering simply a digital world period and a world where all of these elements are being controlled on a much tighter level, including where we're able to live and not able to live. And then the question is, you know, do you want to keep incarnating back here? That's still a choice. You know, it's not as though that we have no choice and no hand in any of it. We've chosen to buy into this world on a technological level in every way that can convenience us. And now we're starting to have a backlash of, wow, that doesn't feel too good. That's not so convenient. So again, the responsibility is on our own shoulders as to how we're going to interface with this very thing that we have all collectively bought into and built. Oh, absolutely. And everything, everything about what you just talked about is all about implied consent yes or, or unimplied consent meaning you actually consent to it like when you when you when you download an app an app right what are you consenting to when you download that app right you through everything which which i tend to do and i don't have a lot of apps on my phone i only have apps that i really you know like google maps or whatever and you know i'm doing a deal with the devil i don't care right but when i see an app that, that wants to take control of this and now i'm like forget it i'm not consenting to that you know, so we always have the option of consent in our lives. People tend to lose track of this because, you know, 
you just hit that download button and you give your consent, whether it's an app or a social program. And when you give your consent, then of course, you're going to become part of this paradigm where things are easier and they're just more convenient. You know, my saying for the last 30 years of my life is convenience is the antichrist. And that's what happens. People just become so complacent that all of a sudden these programs are slipped in and, you know, and we're living in uh, an invisible prison. We don't know it, but that's what happens. Well, as you say, the movie Geostorm's coming out. You talk about predictive programming. It's all around. And you can say it's either predictive programming from the various um, agencies that have a handle on where humanity is going, for example, because they're helping drive it there. Or, you know, whether it's something that's, again, been more on another level psychologically, collectively, organically produced. But I totally agree with you. It's a matter of how we choose to interface with technology. Technology is here to stay for the time being. Um, how are we going to choose to support it? And that gets into all these complex things, even uh, such as, you know, AI, transhumanism, and so forth. You know, and I've heard some very interesting stories about that recently, which we don't have time to go into. But meanwhile, so we agree on that. And we have another thing we need to talk about, which is Mercury in retrograde right through the holiday season. It always seems to fall during the holidays, doesn't <laughs> it? I think we talked about this last year when I was in Colorado. And, uh, you know, at a really superficial level, I talked about returning gifts, and which is a very Mercury retrograde <laughs> But um, the last year, Mercury retrograde took place in January. It was like right after the first of the year, right? That's when it really kicked in. Um, this year, Mercury goes retrograde actually in December, and it's at that 29th degree of Sagittarius. You know, so we're dealing, again, at that, that anoretic degree. And Mercury in Sagittarius, is re it's really interesting. If you've ever hung out with a person that's got Mercury in Sagittarius in their chart, they can be really profound people. Like they say the most incredible things. And they can say the most dumb things sometimes, too, because it's just such an expansive kind of energy around Mercury. And sometimes they'll say something that's so far out, but it might be true. And, but then you ask, well, how did you get there? Well, I, I don't know. It's just, it's just truth, right? It's just true that way. And that's one of the frustrating things about Mercury in Sagittarius. So here we have it, 29th degree, and it's retrograde. So... There's a couple of things that are kind of bubbling right now. First of all, we still have this Vegas thing. And by the way, here's what's really interesting about Las Vegas. The sun was at 9 degrees 11 minutes Libra on the time that the shooting started, okay? Think about that. It's a big deal. Also, the ascendance of the event was at 15 degrees Gemini, which is where Saturn was on 9-11, 15 yeah. degrees Gemini. So there are a lot of echoes of 9-11 here with uh, the Vegas event. And then if you go back far enough, you'll also run into, guess what, JFK. And what is, what is on the table right now? What's on the table right now is do they want to open up the files from JFK? Because this is the time. This is when it runs out. Now, would it be politically expedient for them to do that? But let's say there's a, it's a big nothing. Let's say it's Al Capone's basement or whatever. Remember that? When Geraldo yeah. Rivera went yeah. to Al Capone, there was nothing. Yeah. Okay, it could just be another one of those things. In which case, opening slam case, they close it, see, there's no conspiracy here. So in that case, it would be worthwhile for them to do that. Yeah, let's do it. You know, Or 
maybe there's something in there that might be explosive, that might be actually something that would be flammable and people could grab onto that. Well, here we go, Mercury's retrograde. So we're looking backwards. We're going backwards in time with Mercury retrograde. That's one of the things that it does. In Sagittarius, it's about the truth. It's about the truth, right? Sagittarius wants to get to the truth. And uh, at the 29th degree, again, there's almost like a responsibility. There's almost like this, this uh, karmic burden to get to this thing. So that's how December starts off. You know, it's, it's got, starts off with Mercury retrograde in Sagittarius. And then it goes direct on the 23rd of uh, December. So that's just two days before Christmas. Now we have the shadow of Mercury retrograde, which takes place before that in the shadowy Mercury retrograde after that. So there's a whole kind of valley between those two. So we're going to be getting into roughly almost 30 degrees of Mercury and Sagittarius. And, and the whole idea of truth these days is, is really fascinating, right? It's like if you sat down and had a conversation with Colin Kaepernick, I'm sure Colin Kaepernick would be convinced of his version of the truth, right? Utterly, utterly. If you sat down with, say, oh, I don't know, me, uh, I'd be convinced of my own version of the truth. And so we've got, and it's not necessarily that one truth is more potent or important than another, but the idea that people to some degree are trying to get to the truth of things. Absolutely. Is, is vital. And we may be wrong at times. Like I don't necessarily believe in everything that Colin Kaepernick spews out of his mouth just like he wouldn't believe everything I spew out of my mouth. You know, it's really interesting. This guy, Nate Boyer, he used to play up the road here in uh, uh, UT, wrote an open letter. And, he's, and, he, and uh, to, uh, he was also an Army Ranger. He wrote an open letter for Kaepernick and Trump to get together and have a talk. I'm like, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be amazing that these two guys could actually sit down and do something like that? Absolutely. So yeah, it'd be, I mean, it'd be fantastic. I'd love to see them, you know, have a live Skype thing together. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. And, and then all of a sudden, it's like, geez, what was the issue here? What no, was- really, and what you're saying is absolutely true. This whole period, again, of feeling untethered from the truth because of, well, certain popular players in, in our political scene and, and cultural media in general, we're untethered from the truth these days. And anything is going to bring it back. I mean, and so you're saying it's not just on a, a socially responsible level or a, polit- a level of politics, but like even around the holiday dinner table, expect to have some truth telling going on while Mercury's in retrograde this year. Well, it actually goes, it goes direct, and it goes direct at 13 degrees. So but like, you say it's still in the shadow it'll phase. It'll be the right? shadow, but at least it'll be direct. So, you know, go, go, go for uh, praise and grace versus uh, truth and gristle at uh, <laughs> Christmas dinner. Absolutely. But let me, let's, let's, one more thing, though. One more thing. This is interesting with this Mercury retrograde. During this Mercury retrograde phase, if there are people who have proclaimed the truth, right? Um, and they had not been truthful, this Mercury retrograde could be very potent for these people, right? So if there have been people who have been lying, covering up, this Mercury retrograde Sagittarius could be very powerful and unmask people who have been theoretically, you know, stating unequivocally that something happened. 
So if you're lying or fudging out there on a, on a public level, you should, you should be a little concerned about this period. Let's put it that way. All I can say is let's hope. Let it all be revealed. And um, finally, I want to find out, just give us the nice silver linings of this period, November and December, because we're going to come back and talk again in January about what's coming up in the first quarter of 2018. So silver linings time. Well, um, I'm, I'm a big fan of this Jupiter and Scorpio transition, um, only because you know, I like Libra. Jupiter and Libra was kind to me. It crossed all my Libra planets, uh, so I had, I had a great kind of Jupiter-Libra run. But it's also, you know, Jupiter expanded to this point where, you know, people on one side and the other side were really trying to vie for some kind of real estate, right? That's what it was really doing. And it's a cardinal science. There's a lot of initiating energy that's taking place. Scorpio is a fixed sign. So a lot of that cardinal kind of expansion where men and women and left and right and black and white and all, you know, on the scales, just, you know, you know, getting to this point of a supernova, that's going to calm down a bit. And Jupiter and Scorpio, we can expect a little more quiet, a little more silence, a little more going within, some depth, right, which I think could be great. And it's also looking at where the psychic uh, and the intuitive gifts are in our lives, which is really important. I, I like that. Uh, I think that's a real silver lining running th up through the, the rest of the year. Now, we are going to have, I have to say this, we are going to run into – uh, Mars in, in Libra, and uh, that's going to take place. Uh, that's going to be an interesting time. Let me just find get the, uh, the dates on this. Yeah, I was going to say, what's Mars and Libra look like? Those two don't seem to go together. They really don't in a lot of ways. So we're talking on the uh, 23rd of October, Mars and Libra, Mars goes into Libra. And uh, we've, been, we've been playing this kind of game with Venus and Mars, for um, the past month and a half or so where they've been sort of, you know, tracking each other and in conjunction, especially in Virgo. And they're still kind of close. Like Venus will be in Libra in October uh, and Mars will be kind of behind it, um, uh, significantly uh, behind it. Just so I can say something, we're recording this at the end of, uh, toward the end of October right now. So we're just about, that date's just around the corner. By the yeah. time everyone sees this, it'll be about a week past that. So anyway, we so uh, the the more, but it's going to go on for a while. Okay. Mars stays in Libra until uh, it goes into Scorpio, and that's going to take place on the tenth of December. So we're going to have a Mars Jupiter conjunction. That'll be very interesting. Um, that'll happen towards the end of the year when Mars is at thirteen and Jupiter's at sixteen. So again, that's that's a really juicy, powerful, intense. Scorpionic time to end the year with, but Mars and Libra is it's it's a you know Mars and Libra is funny because Mars is action oriented, it's cardinal, it's male, and Libra is ruled by Venus and it's more tends to be more feminine, even though <coughs> excuse me it's a cardinal sign and an air sign, so the energies uh, tend to the, the okay the best the best uh, kind of um, expression of Mars and Libra is through some form of activism. It's true. Mars and Libra needs a cause. If it has a cause, then it can be direct. If Mars and Libra does not have a cause, it tends to pick fights. It tends to look for injustices in areas where the injustices may be minor. Like you may look beyond something because it's not a big deal. If Mars and Libra is not getting the right expression, it becomes a big deal. 
And this could be an issue in relationships uh, and where all of a sudden, you know, something small comes up and it becomes much bigger. We have to watch out for that with Mars and Libra. But from a social perspective, this is actually um, quite intense because, again, we're dealing with social activism. And social activism has been in the air intensely for the last couple of years. Cultivated. It's been a cultivated movement, right? Mm -hmm. So Mars and Libra, to me, says we're going to see a lot more of it. Now, a lot of people have been saying that November 5th is when, you know, the uh, proverbial shit hits the fan. That's when Atifa hits the streets. This has been kind of the, you know, the marching orders. I don't know whether or not that's going to be true, but I do know that Mars and Libra will be in effect, and that, and that, fits, that fits the model of what we're talking about. And one last thing about Mars and Libra, which is interesting. If you look at the progressed United States chart, and this really comes up, sums up in some ways how we deal with the sexes and sexuality in the United States now. Venus is in Aries in the United States progress chart, and Mars is in Libra in the United States progress chart. So what do we have? We have Venus, which are it's the feminine energy, right? In Aries, which is active, perhaps angry, dynamic, right? Male energy in Libra tends to be more on the feminine side, right? So we have this really interesting sort of bipolar um, progressed um, aspect in the U.S. chart. So Mars and, Ari Mars and Libra might bring some of that out. But ultimately, we just, uh, during that time, try to be kind. <laughs> yeah. Be kind to people. That's, that's, all, that's, that's the best thing you can do. Okay, boys and girls, <laughs> be ready for it. No, that's that. Thank you for the heads up on that. Um, Robert, I think I think we kind of hit our key points, and um, I'm looking forward to talking with you again in January. And any final comment before we sign off? Uh, well, you can find me at robertphoenix.com. That's that's something. Yeah, I was going to say it for you, but go ahead. Okay, and just to let people know, um, I've started something called the 11th House Club, which allows people to sort of check in on sort of a membership tier, where you get something for an entire year and. Some of the goodies are pretty basic, like you get reports and reading and a discount on my course, all the way up to the top level where I'll actually come to your house and do a reading for you and your four of your friends. So I just started that. That's on my website. Some of your peeps might be interested in that. Yeah, that sounds fun. That's a nice addition so people can get a little bit of hands-on with Robert. Yeah. And yeah, I, I'm sorry I can't see you in the flesh right this moment, but I'm sure we'll get back together again. Meanwhile, I'll definitely have you back on at least via Skype or, or Zoom in this case in January. So have a great holiday season. Uh, don't put your foot in your mouth with the ladies, okay? I'll do my best, Regina. <laughs> Thanks so much, Robert. Until next time, thank you so much for joining us here on ReginaMeredith.com.